1: And a pleasant good evening, everybody, and welcome into our Bears All Access Show. Jeff Joniak, along the broadcast partner from WBBM News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM, Mr. Tom Thayer, and joined by Jim Miller, Sirius XM, moving the chains. The former Bears quarterback, we're with you throughout the entire offseason, each and every week. Good to have you alongside. Gentlemen, how are we doing?
2: Big Jeff, doing good. Happy to see uh, Kyle Fuller got um, some Pro Bowl attention, a guy that deserves it, plays um you know, had a lot of turnovers last year, but played a physical style of football. We saw him make a couple plays this year, one in Denver with a late interception and one in Detroit on third and five. That kind of sealed the win, so happy for him and Bears news of the day.
3: Yeah, he fills in. Good to be with you guys. Fills in for Jalen Ramsey and already on to the off season. Some coaching moves uh, around the NFL and a lot to talk about, Jeff, as per usual. Yeah,
1: uh, we'll, we'll touch on Fuller and we'll be joined by Kyle coming up here in the in a few minutes, uh, Clancy Baroni, the new tight ends coach, uh, out of work in 19, but two years with the Vikings, but a long resume. And, Jim, uh, no doubt you've run into him over the years. He spent nine with the Broncos. He's been with the Chargers and Falcons. And so his reputation is what?
3: Uh, I'd say this a tight end centric offense. How many times have we said it? Think of the Broncos, that style of offense that they use. I mean, think of you know even Kubiak out there with Owen Daniels and stuff that they did. When, you know, brought him from Houston over to. Baltimore and just how it's utilized. Um, you look at Kyle Rudolph, how he's developed into uh, the tight end he is. I think he's somewhat even underutilized this year uh, by Minnesota in the Gary Kubiak offense. But they have such talented uh, running backs and Delvin Cook and the wide receivers. But Broney, well-respected. But I-, I do think that that position's got to get up to snuff, guys. It-, it really does. And I think that's why he was brought on board.
2: Yeah, a lot of experience here. A lot of experience in coaching and multiple positions. Not only the tight end, had offensive line, Responsibilities. And I think when you bring in a new offensive line coach with a new tight end coach and they have similar backgrounds, I, I really think it helps that transition because you not only have tight ends working with the offensive line, you have tight ends that are converted to H backs and fullbacks, you have the running back position. So there's a lot of different details that it's not exclusively tight end because that position has expanded so much.
1: I like the experience aspect of it. Uh, you go all the way back to Atlanta and their use of the tight end Alge Crumpler, if you guys remember him, and certainly yep. uh, Antonio Gates in, in San Diego when the Chargers were there. But you know that that speaks well in a, in a, in our a meeting room. I, I really do believe that, and the combination with. The new offensive line coach and Juan Castillo—you can best be sure these two guys are going to work on the running game. Yeah, well, well, you
2: know Juan Castillo doesn't have time to teach both his players and the tight end coach, so he's going to have to come in that someone that has got his feet in, in motion already to what his responsibilities will be.
3: Yeah, and he's had offensive coordinator responsibilities before in his past. When you look at Coach Clancy, so I think again, I think a lot of it has to do with scheme. And that they need to, to work much better together to get more production uh, out of both. Uh, you know, in terms of a run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, how they work in unison. As, as Tom mentioned, sometimes those tight ends are in the offensive line meetings rooms and they have to work together as an inline tight end. And we know they want to split them out and do all those things. So Ber- Coach Baroni has done all that. He, he really has, and I think it'll be a good fit for the Chicago Bears, but that that is why. That position had to be addressed here this offseason.
1: Tight ends combining for just 46 catches, 416 yards, and two touchdowns. This is Bears All Access brought to you by IGS Energy here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score with our producers Sean Anderson and Chris Dickens. Tonight, I'm Jeff Joniak along with Tom and Jim as we uh, take a look at some of the news of the week and, and news of the day. and It does involve Kyle Fuller headed to the Pro Bowl uh, again, a second year in a row, you look at his, his body of work over the last three seasons, 55 pass breakups in those three years. But I know Tom and I just did a, a bunch of breaking down plays, the top plays of the year uh, for the Bears' website that will be uh, coming out. And, you, you know, you can't get past the idea that to play corner on a physical defense, you want to have a physical defense, you got to have a physical corner. And that play against the Lions really sticks out to me, you know, Uh, isolated with a big back, got to get him down to the ground by any means necessary, and it was J.D. McKissick in that play, and it did save the day. The Bears might have lost that game. Well, you know, you have
2: to understand your responsibility when you are break the huddle because so, you don't want to be influenced out of position just by the, the uh, beginning motion of an offensive play. And when you go back and you break down that play, Detroit Lions did everything to attract the attention of Kyle Fuller to sink inside to where a majority of the bodies were. Kyle never. He stuck to what his assignment was. And when that back tried to bounce it out, he closed the distance. He made that tackle. They went kicked the field goal, they w- went up 20-17, to 17, and the Bears went down the field in a scoring drive and ended up winning the game. It was a oh.
1: signature play, Big Jim, on that uh, on that season. Yeah. And uh, before I, I get your thought on it, we can ask Kyle himself. He's joining us now here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Uh, now two-time Pro Bowler, Kyle Fuller of the Chicago Bears, kind enough to spend a few minutes with it. Kyle, congratulations, my man. How you doing? And do we have Kyle? Okay, we'll get to him. I think okay. we got Sounds like we got him. Hello? Yeah, Kyle. Congratulations. Kyle, yeah. how you doing? Good. Thank you. So, uh, you know, you, when you get that uh, Pro Bowl alternate label, you don't know for sure how that's going to work, but uh, you did get the, uh, the, the, the sign today that you're going to the Pro Bowl again, capping off what really is a body of work over several seasons for you. Just some really impressive numbers, taking the ball away, uh, past breakups, and, you know, for a corner and a defense to be a very physical defense you got to be willing to tackle and you led the team in solo tackles in 2019 with 72 that sometimes gets lost when you talk about corners on a defense is that area something you're really proud of all the way back to your college
4: days yeah for sure definitely something uh, we as DBs we all take pride in that and um, yeah you know just going out there doing what i have to do you no know, you know, job
2: Kyle throughout you the uh, several years of your career here where do you think you develop most, physically or mentally? Because you're you're on the field every week, and then we just kind of bragging about one of your assignments in the Detroit game on the third and five tackle. And it's you need to be you know you need to be doing everything equally, but physically or mentally, where do you think you've grown the most?
4: Uh, definitely mentally, but I, I definitely think you know my you know just my experiences over the last six years has helped me, you know, just. As far as physically as well, as far as like things like tackling and leverage and things like that. So just having a good feel of, you know, being in positions, you know, whether the ball's on the ground or in the air.
3: Let me ask you this, uh, Kyle, one congratulations, Jim Miller. Good to talk to you again. And we were just bringing up the play, the great play you made on McKinsey uh, against the Detroit Lions. Or I'm looking, thinking back now, that great interception you had out in, in Denver and I know the season didn't go the way you wanted. Do, do, do even now here as the season is over, do you think about the plays you didn't make or that you expect yourself to make uh, during the year and how you evaluate yourself?
4: Yeah, at this time of the year, you definitely go back and uh, self-evaluate and you see those those plays that you uh, didn't make. And you just, you know, you kind of go into the off season and uh, try to think of ways, you know, in your preparation and, you know, your training, things like that, you know, to go into next year and, uh, you know, be able to make those plays that will help the team. Uh, you know, win
1: ball games. Kyle Fuller, our guest here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score on Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Uh, Kyle, it's it, over the last three years, you've been targeted a lot, a lot of balls thrown in your area, and in many cases to the dismay of the uh, the opponent. But th- how, do you, how do you evaluate that? Because three years ago, I think it was 2017, uh, you were number one in the league. This year, you were tied for first in number of passes thrown in your, your area code. Uh, is that also a sign of respect as well because you're likely in many cases dealing with a top receiver on that unit?
4: Uh no, it's not too much I think about. I you know, I, I never really even uh you know know about that stat. You know, I just I think I go into every game. Um, you know, just trying to, you know, do what I have to do to be in position. Um and that's just uh you know, a lot of work, you know, during the week. Um you know, so Kyle. Yeah, that's what... all, uh,
2: What's your routine after the season? Because now you get, you you've been notified you're going to play in the Pro Bowl. Do you ever get out of shape? Number one, and what is your routine? Kind of always thinking, man, I could be in the Pro Bowl um, if depending upon who stays and what teams go.
4: Oh uh, yeah, you definitely definitely try to stay in shape. Um, you know, so you take a couple weeks off maybe, and uh, you know just gradually, you know just try to you know try to keep in a little bit of shape until uh until you really get started, uh, you know, about February. So, uh, you know, around that, once that time comes around, that's when you really, me personally starts, you know, really, um, you know, that's when the off-season training really starts, and uh, you know, all the way through pretty much.
3: Well, let me ask you this, Kyle, because what does that mean to you? You know, for them, you know, to turn to you and you get that call today to return to the to the Pro Bowl and what goes through your mind? Because you're getting recognized for your play over the past few seasons.
4: Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess it means a lot, you know, just, uh, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of great guys around the league, you know, that go to, that go and play in the Pro Bowl. So, uh, you know, it's pretty cool to go out there and, you know, hang out with those guys for a week and, uh, play in the game. Um, you get to see a lot of the fans, you know, around the league. So it's a pretty cool experience.
1: All right. Before we let you go, Kyle, we do appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight and congratulations again, uh, just keeping that secondary together. It's as important a unit to have chemistry as any on the field, but, uh, the reinvestment of Eddie Jackson, uh, you know, that's a part of you as well, that group in that secondary. How important was that to to keep him here as a bear for a long time?
4: Yeah, very important. I look forward to playing with him, you know, for uh, years to come. Um, you, know, you know, happy for him. Um, you know, definitely, you know, I feel like he, he deserved it. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to playing with him.
1: All right, Kyle, we'll let you go. Have a good time at the Pro Bowl, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you. Thank you, you Kyle. Good luck, Kyle. That's Bears cornerback Kyle Fuller. We'll take a break as he heads to the Pro Bowl. We'll take a timeout here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Hey, welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, a proud partner of the Chicago Bears, providing electricity, natural gas, and home warranty products to over 1 million customers across the country, learn more about IGS Energy at IGS.com. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, Jim Miller. Just heard from Kyle Fuller. Going to the Pro Bowl, one of four bears with Khalil Mack, Deddy Jackson, and Cordell Patterson. Patterson today, guys, uh, named all pro on Sporting News, so the awards keep on coming for the kick return star. Hey, he deserves it. You know, this
2: is a guy that I think he's impressed every single one of us throughout all of his efforts, you know, throughout the whole season. And I don't think, uh, you know, this isn't the li- – I think we should expect more out of him because of what he's been able to do for the Bears. And, you know, do you give him more off, off opportunities on offense or do you expect the same heroic-type plays from the special teams that he's been doing? But, you know, when you look at this guy and the chances we've had to talk to him, you know, he is – you know, he was a, he's a running back frame of mind type of guy. That's probably why he plays so well on special teams.
3: Yeah, that's been his calling card. You know, he's really made a name as himself as a special teams ace. And it's not just in the recurrent turn game. We've talked about the gunner part of it uh, before. It's just a, a mentality. You know, there's, there's some great returners out there. Obviously, Deontay Harris had a good year. Uh, for New Orleans, and Mecole Hardman kind of burst onto the scene, much like Tyreek Hill did, but this guy still holds his own and why everybody tips their cap to him uh, when you look at uh, Corderell Patterson. So he's a tremendous football player and really his area of expertise. that Everybody has tried to expand upon it, but, man, he has remained consistent from the special teams aspect of it.
1: I want to get back to the Kyle real quick because, you know, when I mentioned how many targeted throws are in his area, and there, there's a lot of – you know one side coverage and so forth in the Bears defense but in 17 it was 117 in 18 it was 104 and this past year 98 and that's a lot of targets over the course of time so teams are giving him opportunities to make plays on the ball he did play off quite a bit this year so I think his pass breakups went down significantly from from the last two years he had 43 combined down to 12 this year but that that still has not impacted his ability to make some plays. And so, to me, that's significant to have a guy you can count on, at least one of those guys. You need, obviously, three starter-grade corners and two really good ones in the backup role to complement your defense. But I think you really got that one figured out with Kyle Fuller.
2: Jim, so when Jeff talks about all the numbers of of Kyle Fuller, now does a a defense um, create a scheme with their defensive backs where they kind of invite throws, to yeah. one area because they know there's a good tackler, there's a good space tackler, there's a physical corner. So is, are we talking about these numbers at this time because they're inviting well, more
3: throws over yeah, there? Yeah, I think a lot of it, one, because offenses are right-hand dominant. And for the listeners out there, if you've got a right-handed quarterback, quarterback, excuse me, typically every team that I've been on, I mean, think about it. There's not one left-handed thrower in the NFL. Not one. Wow. Not one quarterback, not even on a practice squad. You
1: know what? I... I... <laughs> That's interesting.
3: So, because, I never,
1: I would have flunked that test.
3: Well, think about it because if it was a left handed quarterback, they would be left hand dominant. What yeah. I mean is they would line up tight end left. So, by having a lot of right handed quarterbacks, tight ends typically always to the right. It's just how play callers have always done it, no matter if you're on the right hash, left hash, or middle. Not always the case, but typically you're right hand dominant is how a lot of because it's the front side of the quarterback, right? Um, And it's open. So you get a lot of quarter, quarter, half is what a lot of teams play right now. So, you know, it's a credit to Prince of Mukamara, but he always has safety help on his side. When you've got your tight end to your right, along with your Z, the flanker out there split out, Fuller, as you mentioned, Jeff, is more off because quarter, quarter, half is exactly how it sounds. Fuller's got a quarter of the field. The inside safety, whether it's Eddie Jackson or HaHa Clinton Dix, they've got a quarter of the field. And the backside is is basically a rolled-up cover two. That's where you get the half, quarter, quarter, half. It's cover two to the backside. Basically, it's kind of one-on-one to the front side because Fuller's responsible for that whole area out there, that whole quarter of the field. And so you get a lot of hitches, things like that, because he plays off a little bit, has to rally up and and, and make the tackle. So I think it's more of the quarterbacks being right-hand dominant and why they target him more because he plays a little bit softer. And, you know, even talking, you know, and that's and happened like that the past couple of years because uh, Vic Fangio did a lot of it, and and obviously Chuck Pagano does a lot of that too. Plus you do a lot of man from that standpoint. He does play a lot of man coverage as well. Uh, but I will say this. Think of the plays, the great plays that we said, whether it's the play of McKidzik against the Lions or the great interception against Denver. Uh, where he reads it and makes, it. guys. I I just think of all the interceptions that could have been a pick six. Where he's just, you know, he's almost there. You just like to see him finish it a little bit more. So he's good right now. He could be even better. That's why I brought up the the question. Like, man, do you think about all the plays you missed? And I know it sticks out in his brain, Tommy. I know you as a player. Like, damn, I I. I I I nailed that block hundred times out of hundred times. How did I miss it in this game? You know, it, right. it just happens to all of us.
2: You know, you know, Jim. I was and Jeff. I was thinking of a funny story years back. I was at this coaching clinic and Jim Harbaugh was speaking. And this is when he was coaching at Stanford, and he talked about how he had four right-handed quarterbacks and one left-handed quarterback. And it does present a problem because you can't make the center snap left-handed. The hand placement by a left-handed quarterback is opposite of what a right-handed quarterback is. So he kind of looked through solutions to this problem. Why make the the center snap left-handed? No, that messes up your balance, everything. So what he did is he had a left-handed quarterback take the snap as a right-handed quarterback and then reverse the ball throughout his drop to get ready to throw it. And it's weird because there are those... Little dynamics, whether you're a left-footed kicker and now the holder is completely off balance because he's used to holding for right-footed kickers and those little things, you know, it challenges a coaching staff
1: sometimes. It's kind of interesting that there are no lefties.
3: Not one. I mean, think about it. We've always had like Boomer Esiason oh. or a Steve Young. There are not one. Not one. Tua would be if Dave he gets Craig. drafted.
1: Dave Craig, was he a lefty? No,
3: no, Dave Craig was a righty, man. Small hands. Small hands.
1: <laughs> All right, we're going to take another break. This is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Hey, Bears fans, get out of the cold and hit the beach in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, with your favorite Bears players, including Bilal Nichols and Roy Robertson-Harris, along with Inside the Bears hosts, Lauren Screedon and Spice Adams, and Apple Vacations this March. Visit applevacations.com slash bears for more info. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, and Jim Meadow with you here, brought to you by IGS Energy. This is Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, thanks as always to our producers, Sean Anderson and Chris Dickens, and you for listening. All right, so it is uh, a great thing to be a part of an organization, a franchise that has... So much history and so many Hall of Famers, and and maybe more uh, when it all it gets said and done uh, for the extra Hall of Famers and the special committee that uh, put together the candidates that are now whittled down. And we'll learn next week, uh, Jim and Tom, if Jimbo Covert and Ed Sprinkle will be named to the Hall of Fame for this special 100 year. And you know, I didn't realize this, but <clears throat> obviously, Tom, that was your teammate, and Jim, you know Jimbo for a, yep. for a while as well, but. 22 guys are on every All-Decade team, right? Jimbo's the only one not on the Hall of Fame in 1980s. So it would make sense here that this is maybe more than a little bit more of a likelihood that he'll be, be going in. Two time first time all pro left tackle for the Super Bowl champion Bears,
2: well, you know his dominance was obvious from the first day that he came to be a member of the Chicago Bears that he was plugged in to play, starting left tackle for the Chicago Bears as soon as he showed up and the the unfortunate thing for Jimbo is he didn't have a couple more years on his resume uh, for these guys to be you know to be influenced by, but if you're looking at a super self-confident, well-prepared football player from the first day you drafted him that was Jimbo Covert and I always kind of complain about these measurables because I don't care what weights you want to put him at or what what their style of play is if Jimbo Covert was in the NFL draft this year he should be considered a number 1 drop, round draft choice as much as any year since since you know the the vital signs have changed and Jimbo is a great player, uh, super self confident and prepared. He had a great college coach in uh, Joe Moore, and he had a great professional coach in Dick Stanfeld.
3: It's unfortunate because when you when you look at it, you know the, even in this class, this Centennial Hall of Fame class, I I hope they open it up more like this in the future because again, you got to. You got to correct the backlog of players like Jimbo Covert and all the great players, or even Sprinkle that you mentioned. That's one of the reasons why they opened it up. Because here you got Sprinkle, who's on the the '40s All Decade Team. They wanted to get in more guys that have been on the all-decade teams, and they just get lost in the shuffle. So I'm hoping this becomes a regularity, like whether it's every five years or every seven years, they open it up where more players get the opportunity to come in to correct all these log jams uh, in the NFL. I, I really do because, you know, even from the coaching side of it, Pat and I were talking about this today on the air. Look at those coaches that they've got to decide from, and there's only two that are getting in in, the, in this Who class. Who you put two. in? I I personally, see, here's, here's another thing. Nothing against Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy's won one Super Bowl. Tom Flores is technically the first minority coach. He's won two. He's not in the hall. How is he not in the hall? And he's done it in less games. You know, and I, I don't say, I just, you know, the voters, I think, sometimes get, get it wrong. Well, Quite frankly, and it becomes a political process where, hey, you vote my guy in, I'll vote your guy in, that type of thing. But look at this n- name of coaches. Don Coriel, Bill Cower, Tom Flores, Mike Holmgren, Jim Jimmy Johnson, Buddy Parker of the Chicago Cardinals. Dan Dan Reeves has been to four Super Bowls. Four Super Bowls in two different conferences. He's led a team to a Super Bowl. Granted, he lost them, but the guy's going to the dance. Dick Vermeule's on there as well. Man, that's a tough group uh, to find two in eight are finalists.
2: Well, you know, you think of the Raiders. I don't think Jim Plunkett's in the Hall of Fame either. Yeah, and he's he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Raiders. But you know, you think of the reputation of the Raiders back then. Did that sometimes tarnish uh, the way these guys were argued for in these Hall of Fame meetings? Um, whether it's because you had an owner like Al Davis that was so controversial. He sometimes was treating players unfairly in terms of their ne- contract negotiations, or even just some of the hype that the yep. Raiders brought along with them, well, um, reputation-wise.
3: Well, that's a good point because, well, I'll give you a case in point, An example about being hated. Okay, Paul Tagliabue is hated, right? Former NFL commissioner did not is not liked by the writers. Uh, a lot of them are voters for this, and granted, the voters, the writers are not a part of this class. I mean, this is a the, the Centennial. This is a separate panel that has been put together, guys like Bill Belichick and a whole bunch of other guys are on it that are going to decide this class. And those normally the normal voters for the Hall of Fame are not even involved in this, which they're upset about. But, you know, that's a case in point. A lot of them don't like Paul Tagliabue and why he hasn't been voted in. I guarantee you Paul Tagliabue will be voted in this time as a contributor and what he did for the National Football League and what he's done in terms of the first CBA and all the things that he went through uh, with Gene Upshaw. you know, People forget about that, and they were vilified for that, that they supposedly had a cozy relationship, but they're not throwing knives at each other like it currently is today with the NFLPA and the NFL. They actually got along, and there was harmony, and it, it was never better in the players' favor under the CBA that Gene Upshaw hey, Jim, and Paul Tagliabue got in, together. In your
1: opinion, what what is it that – you feel the writers did not like about tag
3: uh, I just you know I think well almost like Terrell Owens. Uh, he never interviewed he kind of did things his way um and I don't think they liked that and he really didn't get a fair shake at a, at the slant that he was think about it he had to go in and clean up pounding gate even after that he felt that Roger Goodell got it wrong they called Paul Tagliabue in to fix it mm-hmm. and he wasn't even the commissioner anymore and he was still fixing things in the NFL um Other guys, like Cliff Branch, who's been overlooked. Here's a a player, and we brought it up before. Cliff Branch is basically Tyree Kill before Tyree Kill. He had a touchdown once out of seven. Every seven times he touched the ball, that dude was in the end zone. And so it's different eras of football. But there's been a logjam. So again, I, I just hope they open up like every five years or every seven years. They vote in like 15 players again, more contributors, more coaches that are all deserving to get into the hall. Well, Wasn't
1: there somebody out there today that's in the hall of fame that is criticizing this process uh, that it, they're even considering? And I thought I saw. I want to say it was. I better not say who I think uh-huh. it was because I'm not sure. I thought I saw it this afternoon on Twitter, and I didn't read the whole article. Maybe you talked about it today on your show, no? No, no, no? we didn't. Okay. I didn't, I
3: didn't. I haven't heard. Well, I know the voters are upset that they're not a part of the process. The typical voters or the normal voters are upset. i
1: tell you, uh, Tom, I, I just went through this. Uh, it's a site called Pro Football Journal, and the, the I was specifically looking up something on Jimbo. And the list of offensive linemen that could be considered Hall of Famers, these are... Mainstream names from days gone by to current day players, the list is extremely long. It it really is something how many offensive linemen were great players that may never get into the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah. You know, and selfishly just thinking about the Bears, thinking of Jay and Olin Krutz. Uh here's two guys that definitely uh with their longevity for what they did to the organization, the success, the trail of success they left behind them. There's two guys right there of, you know, of, of bears and cause you look at other guys that have been put in the hall of fame, Kevin Mowai or Dermani Dawson, just guys like that at the center position that I think that, um, Jay certainly and Olin, I think they're both, um, you know, as much or, you know, as much as deserving as those guys who are already in the league. And sometimes it's, it's tough to get multiple
1: guys at the same position repeatedly over the course of history. You know? I love the, uh, the Ed Sprinkle, uh, a consideration here because obviously none of us were around to see how he played the game, but Dan Pompey who, who pitched these two gentlemen at, at, his, and he's part of that, that blue ribbon committee. When you think he was an undersized 200 pound pass rusher and was considered the meanest man in football. At least that's how he was portrayed in a 1950 uh, article, but just 12 years with the bears, four time pro bowler, all decade team from the forties and dominant in his era. Uh, At under 200 pounds. Obviously, the guys weren't as big as they are today. Yeah, but,
2: but, you know, dominant in that area and you're not as big as you were, but you got to think of what the pressure they were under and the development of a professional football league. And they weren't surrounded by the medical attention that there is today. So these guys were going on the field sometimes with a career that long. That they couldn't have been feeling good about taking the field. Well, and back be, then,
3: they were two-way players. He played both sides of the ball. Yeah,
1: well, it'll, it'll be some great debate when the list comes out, that's for sure. As all these lists have become in, in 19, uh, 19, uh, or excuse me 2020, uh-huh. as we get ready for this uh, end of the 100-year anniversary of, of NFL football. We'll continue on with Jim and Tom after this on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All-Access is brought to you by CDW. People to get it. Learn more at cdw.com. Jeff Tom and Jim Miller joining you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score with you until 7 o'clock tonight as we're going over some of the uh, news of the day involving the Bears. They hired Clancy Baroni as tight ends coach. Last with the Vikings, but a long resume. Kyle Fuller going to the Pro Bowl for a second time, this time as an alternate. Cordell Patterson, Sporting News All-Pro team as a kick returner. And now let's shift gears a little bit. In this segment, guys, just talk about what's going on league-wide because there's one opening left, Jim, in the coaching carousel, and the Cleveland Browns will interview, as it turns out, eight different guys, and it looks like Josh McDaniels will be the last interview. Kevin Stefanski reportedly interviewed today, the Minnesota offensive coordinator. What are you hearing?
3: Well, I, I don't know. I Just overall, Cleveland, I, I just don't understand. They're just kind of spinning their wheels. You know, they go from the analytics guy in Sashi Brown – who want to get to the football guy and John Dorsey. Now they're back to the analytics guy and John D Podesta, who is in charge of the coaching search. Um, And just, it's almost baffling the order that these, you know, that the order, the, the coach has been interviewed. You know, why wouldn't you bring in first Marvin Lewis, who coached in that division and for over a decade, right? He's faced every roster Cleveland's ever put together uh, for the last, you know, 16 years, even prior to Jimmy Haslam, and say, you know, I've, I kind of have this insights about your your team and your roster and how you've put it together and all those type of things, but they they don't do that. It's just been kind of, you know, throw throwing darts at the dartboard, in my opinion. I think Kevin Stefanski's got a great opportunity there. Supposedly, he had a great interview last year, and why he's probably the the leader in the clubhouse, Jim Schwartz. Um, is who they interviewed Wednesday. I think Jimmy would be the perf- perfect guy for the job. That's where he started out as a scout, and he's taken an 0 16 team, as we know in the NFC North and what he did with the Detroit Lions. And then, of course, jo- Josh McDaniels. But for just my take for Jimmy Hoslem to get up there earlier in this week and say that's an attractive job, it's anything but. He is going on now his sixth NFL head coach. Well, you know, um,
2: what? what assets that the Cleveland Browns have are going to get you to the Super Bowl the quickest?
3: Well, I think you know. I do think they got talent on the roster, right? At least. So So,
2: the reason I'm asking that question, Jim, is because that's where my decision would lie. Where where are my and Jim? Jim Schwartz seems like a guy that if you could take that defensive talent and you could capture the emotions of what the stadium wants to give you in Cleveland mm. and then give a guy that's going to help mm. grow Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I don't know. You know, Is Baker Mayfield the guy? I mean, is is the is the question still out well, on Well, that's him?
3: what Jimmy Hoslem was touting at the press conference. Hey, we've got a young quarterback that we drafted first overall. So if everybody thinks Josh McDaniels is, go, Daniels is going there and he's bringing Brady with him, forget that. They've invested a first overall draft pick in Johnny Manziel. That's what I mean. That's why, to me, it's not an attractive job. Other than the talent that's on the roster, because the owner doesn't have the patience to let it grow. So again, you're back to you're back to the analytics start of it or part of it, and this guy's in charge of your head coaching search, which they've interviewed double digit candidates. So that's why Matt Rule completely just pulled his name out of it, um, and he ends up getting the Carolina job. And if Jimmy Schwartz or uh, Josh McDaniels, probably not so much for Kevin Stefanski, because this is his first bite at being a head coach. Jim Schwartz is going to go in there and, and say, "Hey, this John P. D. Podesta, get him out of the way." I, I know what it takes to win here, and Josh McDaniels is going to say the same thing because you know Nick Casario is coming with him from New England, who's Italian talent evaluator, um, and they're going to want things their way. This would be Josh's second opportunity to be a head coach, much like Schwartz, and they know what it takes to get it done. Stefanski may be more willing to work with D. Podesta. Because he's, you know, he'd be a first-time head coach, and and you know, the only reason why I take it is to have an opportunity to coach Baker and and be an NFL head coach. There's only 32 of them available. Um, but man, I, I just don't think it's as attractive as as what Jimmy Hoslow hey, thinks J- it is.
2: Jeff and Jim, do you think that any of Josh McDaniels' past is going to follow him to Cleveland, either by word of mouth or just because he was not very respected when he was the head coach in Denver? Um, is he? You know, trying to does he get too much credit for having Belichick and Tom Brady? And I think there's just a lot of question marks in these young these players aren't naive and they do look into a, a coach's background when they get there.
3: Yeah, I I, I don't think so because you know it, you know obviously Denver didn't work out and then him pulling out of the Indianapolis Colts job right that's how Frank Wright got the job. Everybody's like, oh, he'll never get uh, you know considered for a head coaching job. His name has been considered for the Giants. His name has been considered for the Browns. He was scheduled or he interviewed for the Carolina Panthers. So I I don't think it's hurt him one bit, not one. For for Josh, I really don't.
1: I'll just say this, and then we'll move on. Uh, I'll, I'll just say that every time he's up for a, a head coaching job, I I don't I don't believe he's going to take the job, even if it's offered. That that's he's left me with that feeling right now because his name comes up every single year. He's either waiting for something that's right in his wheelhouse, which he should, or that he thinks he has a future in, in New England if, in fact, that time would come. Um, lastly, about the coaching searches today. Joe Judge impressed me at the podium, and I know Twitter blew up about it as well, uh, one way or the other, that he, he really he won the news conference today. And whether you feel that's an important aspect of being a head coach out of the gate or not, uh, you could start uh, in a deficit if you don't. So did you guys see any of that today?
3: Yeah, I, I listened to the whole press conference. Yeah, I thought he was very impressive. Um, again, he's not tied to any one of the three phases, uh, whether special teams, because that's his background, because he does. He has to know every man on the roster, what they can do, what they can't do. I, I like because he's the first coach that got up there and said, talked about being multiple in personnel groupings and, hey, we, we've got to be able to adjust and move in and out of things, and, and that's what I think you have to do uh, at the NFL. You want to pre- be able to present a lot of things in order for your opposition to to really prepare for you. And I think that's what he's going to bring. It's about the more you can do. Uh, he's been with coaches that have done that in the past, Sabin, and obviously Bill Belichick is a big believer in that. And I think that's going to be a big part of the, the Giants' future for him.
2: You know, when you look at all these coaching um, interview or at the podium within the last couple of days and you think of young guys like Rule, who's doing it for the first time on a professional level, Mike McCarthy, who's a retread doing it again now for the second time after Green Bay and Dallas. So it's interesting when you do get exposed to a first-time guy and how are they going to handle those moments. And, you know, I, I thought both the Giants and the Carolina, if you want a reflection of where, what your future is going to be like, you know, you have, a, you have a really super talkative guy and then you have a serious guy with, with the Giants.
3: Yeah, it's well. It's interesting to, to me. Joe Judge must have really blown Dave Gettleman away because they were still scheduled to interview Josh McDaniels. So I think that truly was, you know, because I I think they wanted the Giants were thinking of going with Because think of the last coaching cycle, right? It was anybody who had dinner with Sean McVay got a head <laughs> coaching job. Now you look at this. Ron Rivera is the first established coach hired. Then of course McCarthy. Established coach hired to me it's it's more about established and I, I still think it's going to be a coach that has been around to guide the Cleveland browns i I don't see how they can go with the first year head first year head coach again although Stefansky, from what everybody's saying is the leader in the clubhouse
1: well Mr. Mara today said that uh, Joe Judge was the best interview he's ever done as a yeah as a so and they've done plenty of them yeah. that's for sure anyway that's around the league Bears will be playing the Giants again in 2020 as they knock them off in 2019. Final segment just ahead. We'll talk national title game in college football and look at some of the potential NFL draft picks that will be playing in that game. There will always be plenty when it's teams like Clemson and LSU. And we'll take a look at the Bears' offense as they look to, to reload a little bit offensively around Mitchell Trubisky and whatever they plan to do to grow that offense as they need to in 2020. This is Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. You can help deserving families by donating a gently used winter coat to the Chicago Bears Jewel Asco coat drive the participating Jewel Asco locations now through February 28th. Donations benefit the Salvation Army. Weather's turning later on this week, so get some coats out there for folks who need them. Jeff Joniak along with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We're brought to you by IGS Energy. Wrapping up our show for this week. Uh, Looking at the national title game Monday night, obviously all the attention's on the quarterbacks, as it should be, with Joe Burrow of LSU and Trevor Lawrence of Clemson. How do you guys looking at this matchup? Are you intrigued by what you're going to see in this matchup with these quarterbacks? Big jam quarterbacks, your deal.
3: Well, yeah, they're both pretty good, no doubt about it. <laughs> Joe, Joe Burrow, you know that's going to be a tough choice for uh, Cincinnati, you know, because Chase Young, everybody's talking about him, the defensive end, pass rusher out of uh, Ohio State. They're calling him the generational type player. They think he's the next Lawrence Taylor. So you got a chance between Lawrence Taylor or the quarterback who Joe Burrow, I think everybody expects will be the, the first quarterback taken. And you just look at the how well he's performed in the last game. And it's that's going to be a tough decision for, for Cincinnati. There's no doubt about it. But, yeah, you know, what I, I think Burrow has all the tools. Uh, That you're looking for, they're both well coached. Each team is probably going to have about six guys drafted. You're right. There's probably about 12 to 15 players that will be drafted uh, on the field. You know, from ATN, you look at the running back and what he's done, and
1: he's something else, isn't
3: he? Oh man, the the receivers. I got some really good uh, receivers like T Higgins and. Man, there's uh, there's probably about ten to fifteen guys you're going to be watching that will be playing at the at the next level, and you know. But I go back to, again I, to me. What comes first, the, the the chicken or the egg? Is it the coach or is it the players? And I I always say it's the coach. And for whatever reason, man, that Dabo Sweeney, he gets his players juice. Not that Ed Ogeron doesn't, because those guys get juice too. But Dabo just has there's just something about him. Remember when he called uh, Deshaun? The next Michael Jordan, everybody thought he was crazy. What was Deshaun Watson last week in the, in the wildcard w- weekend? He was pretty much Michael Jordan in that game, wasn't he? They were losing, and here he ends up finishing just an unbelievable game, has that Houdini play, and uh, the Houston Texans come from behind, and they get that victory uh, for wild card weekend. But at so, the same time,
1: he did struggle in that game, got hit a ton, and if he was sacked on that play, the sacks. Houdini – yeah, huh? there
3: were seven sacks in
1: that game. Right, but if he did get sacked on that play, there would be a, maybe a different narrative. But you're right; he is he's an outstanding quarterback. Uh, I I don't know if Tom's done any of this kind of work yet, but there's a guy on Clemson that I'm intrigued by is Isaiah Simmons. Oh, yeah, the linebacker. And, and, yeah, but you know well, what?
2: He's a he's a he's a tweener. They don't yeah. know what he is. Linebacker, tweener.
1: safety. He plays everywhere, <laughs> mm. and he's that is quite the athlete. What a versatile defender. What where do you think he'll wind up? in the draft protocol, linebacker or safety? Well, I, I think that he's really fortunate to come into the NFL at this time because as much
2: as we wanted to label defenses with numbers in front of them, three four four three, I think the multiple uses of personnel fits this guy well because maybe he is a three-down player because he has linebacker skills, but he has defensive back and safety type of awareness. So I, I think he's kind of a unique player that – when you're when the offense puts in the specific personnel groupings, they're trying to look at who you're taking out. This guy might never come off the field if he gets a, an early opportunity inside the right defense.
3: Freaky athlete, that's for sure. But you know, I just I think he's going to fill out. I think he'll be more linebacker. But you're right. I mean, he's a hybrid player. Six uh, four, two hundred twenty five pounds will probably end up being about two three. Because you know, we've seen bigger safety. Derwin James obviously comes to mind, or Jamal Adams and what he brings. Uh, Uh, For uh, the Jets, because I believe Adams led the league in in sacks for safety. He was pretty much down inside the box, blitzing and doing all those things. So that may be Isaiah Simmons' role at the next level, but I think he's going to fill in as a linebacker primarily.
1: And then uh, one last thing on the game, because, uh, you know, it's uh, the grandson of Chicago uh, born and and bred in John Marshall High School, Daryl Stingley, the late Daryl Stingley, his grandson, Derek Stingley, who came in as one of the most heavily recruited players in LSU history? Um, what what a terrific! He's only a freshman. Uh, he's already a six-two corner, mm. and the guy's got the ball skills of of a wide receiver. He had a bunch of he had twenty-seven interceptions as a high school player. Wow. He has six this year. And have you seen highlights of this guy defending passes? It's it's unbelievable. Well, you, th- you think of the talent that he faces every single day in practice. You know, you hear a lot about the passing
2: coordinator for LSU and Joe Brady, and here's a guy that, you know, would it be interesting to go along with Burroughs? But you think about, again, what you're facing every single day in practice. And if, if you want to develop the skills of a player of that position, man, it's, you can develop them when you're going against the talent that he gets to see every single day, and I, I do think that – it's not such a big shock when he goes into these other stadiums, these other games, and sees the talent they have because he's seeing guys just as talented, and again, one of the most, you know, the quickest processing quarterback they're saying out there in Joe Burrow.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, for Stingley, and you know, I think Belichick made this too. I'm look at the receivers drafted last year, DK Metcalf. The guy's an absolute monster. I mean, look at the receivers that are six four. 228, 230 pounds coming out. You need to get somebody to cover those guys. So teams last year started to focus on, I don't want to say legion of boom, but you need the bigger corners now, guys who are over six foot, you know, the peanut Tillmans of the world. And that's what Stingley falls into at six two. So you're going to start to see some monster corners coming out because, and that's who will be at the senior bowl this year. Jim Nagy said that it hasn't changed. NFL teams are like, bring the bigger corners, Try to scout the bigger corners that are out there because you need somebody to cover these monster receivers that are just, I mean, what, what do you do against a six 6'4 receiver who's, who's busting a 4'3"? I mean, D.K. Metcalf alone had 160 yards last week versus Philly. He was a one-man wrecking crew.
1: All right, so real quick, 30 seconds to go. Let's break it down. Minnesota, San Francisco, who do you like?
3: San Francisco. I'll take San Fran as well. Short week for Minnesota. Mark
1: Ingram could be back for Baltimore, Tennessee, and the Ravens.
3: Baltimore. I like Baltimore
1: as well. D. Ford, Kansas City getting healthy, uh, hosting Can- uh, Houston Sunday.
3: Kansas City. I'll take Kansas City as well. Uh, it won't be the Week Six loss, be- like before, and I will take the upset, Seattle over <laughs> Green Bay.
2: Dom. you know, I'm I'm having a hard. T- well, <laughs> I'm having a hard time going against Russell Wilson. That's the the guy that is most attractive to me because. He's the one guy that could probably maybe wear down Z'Darrius Smith in the later part of the game and and get some balls out of his hands, but I'm still going Green Bay.
1: I'm going San Francisco, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Seattle. I'm Almost all the home teams, but Seattle on the road. Those are my picks, and that's our show. Thanks, Sean Anderson, Chris Diggins, and you for listening. For Tom Thayer and Jim Miller, I'm Jeff Joniak. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Good night.